Letters from an American Written by Heather Cox Richardson Read by the author February 12th, 2024 Today's big story continues to be Trump's statement that he would encourage Russia to do whatever the hell they want to countries that are part of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO, if those countries are, in his words, delinquent. Both Democrats and Republicans have stood firm behind NATO since Dwight D. Eisenhower ran for president in 1952 to put down the isolationist wing of the Republican Party and won. National Security Specialist Tom Nichols of The Atlantic expressed starkly just what this means. The leader of one of America's two major political parties has just signaled to the Kremlin that if elected, he would not only refuse to defend Europe, but he would gladly support Vladimir Putin during World War III and even encourage him to do as he pleases to America's allies. Former NATO Supreme Commander Wesley Clark called Trump's comments treasonous. To be clear, Trump's beef with NATO has nothing to do with money. Trump has always misrepresented NATO as a sort of protection racket. But as Nick Payton Walsh of CNN put it today, NATO is not an alliance based on dues. It is the largest military bloc in history, formed to face down the Soviet threat based on the collective defense that an attack on one is an attack on all, a principle enshrined in Article 5 of NATO's founding treaty. On April 4, 1949, the United States and 11 other nations in North America and Europe came together to sign the original NATO Declaration. It established a military alliance that guaranteed collective security because all of the member states agreed to defend each other against an attack by a third party. At the time, their main concern was resisting Soviet aggression, but with the fall of the Soviet Union and the rise of Russian President Vladimir Putin, NATO resisted Russian aggression instead. Article 5 of the treaty requires every nation to come to the aid of any one of them if it is attacked militarily. That article has been invoked only once, after the September 11, 2001 attacks on the United States, after which NATO-led troops went to Afghanistan. In 2006, NATO members agreed to commit at least 2% of their gross domestic product that's GDP, a measure of national production, to their own defense spending in order to make sure that NATO remained ready for combat. The economic crash of 2007 to 2008 meant a number of governments did not meet this commitment, and in 2014, allies pledged to do so. Although most still do not invest 2% of their GDP in their militaries, Russia's invasion of Ukraine and annexation of Crimea in 2014 motivated countries to speed up that investment. On the day NATO went into effect, President Harry S. Truman said, If there is anything inevitable in the future, it is the will of the people for freedom and for peace.
In the years since 1949, his observations seems to have proven correct. NATO now has 31 member nations. Crucially, NATO acts not only as a response to attack, but also as a deterrent, and its strength has always been backstopped by the military strength of the U.S., including its nuclear weapons. Trump has repeatedly attacked NATO and said he would take the U.S. out of it in a second term, alarming Congress enough that last year it put into the National Defense Authorization Act a measure prohibiting any president from leaving NATO without the approval of two-thirds of the Senate or a congressional law. But, as Russia specialist Ann Applebaum noted in The Atlantic last month, even though Trump might have trouble actually tossing out a long-standing treaty that has safeguarded national security for 75 years, the realization that the U.S. is abandoning its commitment to collective defense would make the treaty itself worthless. Chancellor of Germany Olaf Scholz called the attack on NATO's mutual defense guarantee irresponsible and dangerous, and NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said, any suggestion that allies will not defend each other undermines our security. Applebaum noted on social media that Trump's rant will persuade Russia to keep fighting in Ukraine and, in time, to attack a NATO country too. She urged people not to let Florida Senator Marco Rubio South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, or anyone, try to downplay or alter the meaning of what Trump did. He invited Russia to invade NATO. It was not a joke, and it will certainly not be understood that way in Moscow. She wrote last month that the loss of the U.S. as an ally would force European countries to cozy up to Russia with its authoritarian system, while Senator Tim Kaine, a Democrat of Virginia, suggested that many Asian countries would turn to China as a matter of self-preservation. Countries already attacking democracy would have a compelling new argument in favor of autocratic methods and tactics. Trade agreements would wither, and the U.S. economy would falter and shrink. Former governor of South Carolina and Republican presidential candidate, Nikki Haley, whose husband is in the military and is currently deployed overseas, noted, he just put every military member at risk and every one of our allies at risk just by saying something at a rally. Conservative political commentator and former bulwark editor-in-chief Charlie Sykes noted that Trump is signaling weakness, appeasement, surrender. One of the consistent things about Donald Trump has been his willingness to bow his knee to Vladimir Putin, to ask for favors from Vladimir Putin. This comes amid his campaign to basically kneecap the aid to Ukraine right now. People ought to take this very, very seriously because it feels as if we are sleepwalking into a global catastrophe. President Joe Biden asked Congress to pass a supplemental national security bill back in October of last year to provide additional funding for Ukraine and Israel, as well as for the Indo-Pacific. 
MAGA Republicans insisted they would not pass such a measure unless it contained border security protections. But when Senate negotiators actually produced such protections earlier this month, Trump opposed the measure and Republicans promptly killed it. There remains a bipartisan majority in favor of aid to Ukraine, and the Senate appears on the verge of passing a $95 billion funding package for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. In part, this appears to be an attempt by Republican senators to demonstrate their independence from Trump, who has made his opposition to the measure clear and, according to Catherine Tully McManus and Ursula Perano of Politico, spent the weekend telling senators not to pass it. South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, previously a Ukraine supporter, tonight issued a statement saying he will vote no on the measure. Andrew Desiderio of Punchbowl News recorded how Senator Tom Tillis, a Republican of North Carolina, weighed in on the issue during debate today. This is not a stalemate. This guy, Putin, is on life support. He will not survive if NATO gets stronger. If the bill does not pass, Tillis said, you will see the alliance that is supporting Ukraine crumble. For his part, Tillis wanted no part of that future. I am not going to be on that page in history. If the Senate passes the bill, it will go to the House, where MAGA Republicans who oppose Ukraine funding have so far managed to keep the measure from being taken up. Although it appears likely there is a majority in favor of the bill, House Speaker Mike Johnson, a Republican of Louisiana, tonight preemptively rejected the measure, saying that it is a non-starter because it does not address border security. Tonight, Trump signaled his complete takeover of the Republican Party. He released a statement confirming that, having pressured Ronna McDaniel to resign as head of the Republican National Committee, he is backing as co-chairs fervent loyalists Michael Watley, who loudly supported Trump's claims of fraud after the 2020 presidential election, and his own daughter-in-law, Laura Trump, wife of Trump's second son, Eric. Laura has never held a leadership position in the party. Trump also wants senior advisor to the Trump campaign, Chris Lasavita, to become the chief operating officer of the Republican National Committee. This evening, Trump's lawyers took the question of whether he is immune from prosecution for trying to overturn the 2020 presidential election to the Supreme Court. Trump has asked the court to stay last week's ruling of the Washington, D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals that he is not immune. A stay would delay the case even further than the two months it already has been delayed by his litigation of the immunity issue. Trump's approach has always been to stall the cases against him for as long as possible. If the justices deny his request, the case will go back to the trial court and Trump could stand trial. Letters from an American was produced at Soundscape Productions, Dedham, Massachusetts. 
recorded with music composed by Michael Moss. <laughs>